Well, good afternoon again. Uh, my name is Guy Stevens and welcome to our show today. Uh, I am the founder and executive director of the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. Uh, we started the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint to raise awareness about the use of restraint and seclusion in schools uh, across the nation and really beyond. Uh, we're an organization that advocates for legislative changes and changes everywhere in terms of the practices of restraint and seclusion uh, that, to make our schools ultimately safer for the students, the teachers and the staff. Of course, there's a lot of other issues that we're interested in. Today, we're gonna to be talking a bit about uh, institutional racism. Uh, I'm very excited to have, uh, we've got a, a couple of guests here with us today. Uh, we've got Amani Hill, Sean Ure Wilson, and Cheryl Poe. And you'll probably recognize two of those names as members of the, the Alliance team here. So they're gonna be joining us. We'll be introducing them in just a moment here. But I do wanna let everybody know that we will be recording today's uh, interview. Uh, we are also streaming this live to Facebook and YouTube, and it will also be available as an audio podcast afterwards if you'd like to listen to it. We will um, try to take some questions today, but we've got a full interview, so um, you'll be able to put questions in the chat, and we'll try to get to those as we can. Uh, but let me begin uh, by introducing you first to uh, my co-host, and my co-host here today, uh, Beth, why don't you give us a wave? Uh, is our um, Beth is our director of education uh, educational strategy here at the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. Uh, Beth actually retired in 2018 from a leadership position in Virginia's lead agency for early intervention for infants and toddlers. Uh, her experience as a parent and a grandparent of children who have, have had or have behavioral challenges has fueled her passion to improve the lives of children and families through education, mutual support and advocacy. And I'm, I'm always very excited to have Beth here with us. Hey, welcome, Beth. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. So I'm going to do one other introduction, then I'm going to turn the introduction stick over to you to do a couple introductions. Uh, I'm going to introduce Cheryl, and let me bring Cheryl up here. All right. So let me bring Cheryl up. So um, I want to introduce Cheryl Poe, who, if you have been following the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint, you may well know. Cheryl is our Director of Diversity Issues here at the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. Cheryl's also the founder and own, uh, excuse me, founder and executive director of Advocating for Kids, a special education advocacy organization that provides resources, information, workshops to parents, professionals, uh, with a special focus on addressing really the needs of uh, black and brown children and those from lower socioeconomic statuses. Cheryl's the mother of two boys with learning disabilities, age 23 and 21. And Cheryl, welcome. Very exciting to have you here today. Hi. Not nearly as excited as I am to be here today. Um, this, this topic continues to be something so near and dear to my heart that any opportunity that we have to expand people's knowledge about this particular issue is just a delight. Absolutely. We're really excited. So, uh, Beth, I'm going to hand it over to you to do a couple more introductions. So I'm going to add in here now, uh, Amani, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce Amani and then Sean. Sure. Um, well, I, I'm delighted. I'm so glad. Uh, first of all, Cheryl uh, brought me into this um, situation and uh, I, it's given me the pleasure of meeting Amani uh, actually in person for the first time yesterday. In person, that means screen to screen. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of conversations. Uh, but Amani is a special education teacher, and she had her first year this year, and she walked into a situation that um, you don't expect to walk in. So as she was seeing things that didn't make sense, 
she consulted with her mom, who is a uh, special education advocate. Let me go right on to that one. I'm going to introduce her mom. First of all, let me just say that Amani is, uh, she has shown her character and her ability to do what's right in the face of great uh, pressure to do otherwise. So um, I, I'm grateful to you, Amani, and um, uh, thank you. And Beth, just yeah. to let you know, we, we don't seem to have Sean on the feed at the moment, but hopefully she'll be joining us here again in a second. But okay. if you want to go ahead and do her introduction as soon as she pops on, we'll yeah, let me get her at it. Let me just talk a little bit about in the context. So Sean, uh, Imani, and Imani, I always think of you as Imani, but it says Miss Hill. Do you want me yeah. to call you Miss Hill or Imani? You can call me Imani, it's fine. Okay, and call me Beth. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I'm old. I can't break these habits. <laughs> anyway, um, so you, when you were seeing things that didn't make sense, you talked to your mom, who's a, uh, over 20 years, I think it said, special education experience, and also she's an advocate, uh, QMHP, I think that's called the mental health professional, is one of her um, credentials. She's a community leader, an author, a speaker, and a fitness trainer. And she's been working with adults and kids with um, special needs for 20 years. She's also a Special Olympics volunteer and mentor and a mother of two kids with exceptionalities. And oh, I already said she's your mom. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, nice to have that in your back pocket when you run into a problem. <laughs> so, Guy, I think you did you want to say something uh, or do you want me to go right into that? Um, sure. So, yeah, yeah, and it looks like Sean hasn't joined us yet, but hopefully we'll be on here shortly. Um, but if you want to go ahead and give people, I know you in the introduction gave a little bit of a background, but if you want to give a little bit of a more detailed background so that as we get into having these discussions that people kind of have a sense of the story, that'd be great. Okay. So um, when, when Amani walked into her new job, instead of having a co-teaching position that she was expecting, um, she was assigned a group of six boys uh, six black boys who had IEPs who, until she got there, were in a conference room. So they gave her a classroom to teach these boys, but they didn't give her their IEPs uh, for, I don't know, a week and a half or so, and they didn't give her teaching materials. And when she got the IEPs, they were out of date. Testing had been done more than three years ago. They didn't have current levels of um, performance. So there were a lot of things wrong. And then um, she was given instructions about what she was to do, update those IEPs. And by the way, I know it's mid-January. They didn't say this, I'm saying this, but it was in mid-January. They said, you need to get these IEPs updated and backdate them to December. Um, so this is the situation that, that she walked into. And, and let me just, I'm, that's all I'm gonna say because I'm gonna let Amani tell it in her words. But I want you also, and also correct anything I said wrong. Um, also, Cheryl, what Cheryl will be doing is, um, and Cheryl was brought in, I think, because she and Sean worked together some. And and uh, anyway, you can talk about that too. But Cheryl, <laughs> yeah. Cheryl, is it? Cheryl, what, what, um, uh, Sean um, Amani's um, mother, she and I worked together as QM. What a QM qualified mental health professionals with children yeah. and adults. Um, so we were familiar with with each other around her work. And I also was aware of Sean because she is a certified special education teacher 
who was providing education, who would work in Chesapeake Public Schools um, doing homebound, home-based kinds of instruction. Um, so, and I knew that she'd done some advocacy, provided her some oversight and training. Um, so it kind of went from Amani was like, hey mom, I need some help. And then Sean, who just texted me, sorry, she said she's not gonna be able to make it today. <laughs> she ran into um, an appointment that ran over. Um, so then Sean would go in and try to advocate on behalf of, of the kiddos after Amani um, shared some of her concerns and then it didn't get better, it got worse. So then she brought me in and then this is where we are. But um, so uh, I'm filling into explaining Sean's role <laughs> and then okay. my role. And then my yeah. role was, uh, and, and I, let's, let's let Amani talk first about what she was asked to do. Um, the, the, the illegal, the, the racial microaggressions that you experienced there. Um, just lay it out for everyone because I'm sure people have questions and need clarification. Yeah, if you were to mind, just before we get into the starting the story, I just want to remind folks that that you know we're going through a very specific situation today, but this is not something that's only happening in this particular situation. You know, this kind of discrimination and devaluing of black special education students happens across the nation. So, you know, part of the hope in, in sharing today's session is to really raise awareness about the kinds of issues. Uh, that we have in terms of uh, institutional racism, and and hopefully get to some solutions as well, and and hear this this story. So I'll hand it back to you, Beth, yeah. to get the discussion yeah. started. And can I just jump in real quick too, because yeah. I think you know with the school to prison pipeline, which is very much affiliated with the restraint and seclusion, every one of these kids have been funneled into that. And our goal in exposing this is to give parents tips on what you need to do to protect your babies. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and the other thing we will say is the story, the end of the story has not yet been written, um, but, but there has been a lot of really good work on the part of the, these three people, one of whom is not being seen, <laughs> Amani, her mom, and Cheryl, um, to against really high odds to be able to help these boys. So take it away, Amani. Amani, can you hear all right now? I know you were having trouble at first. Yes, I can hear it now. Okay, great. All right, take it away. Oh, um, maybe I should give you, can you tell us in, in your words, what were you expecting when you came into that school? This is your, where's your first job, is that right? As a special ed well, teacher? Well, no, go ahead. a special ed teacher, um, like I had special ed teacher by myself okay. in a classroom, um, but I'm not unfamiliar of how the process works as a teacher coming in. Um, so it was very, um, it wasn't it wasn't the norm um something that you should walk into so far as uh you know the children being held in a conference room when i came in and then them just transitioning them into the classroom um the iep setting not being what 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 the placement actually was so far as on their setting it said general ed setting um for a certain amount of minutes however they were in a self-contained class um, and self-contained meaning they were held in my classroom the whole entire day um, and they would sometimes go to lunch and electives uh, depending um, depending on administrative thinking you know whether their behavior was good or bad um, so that that was that was odd um, for me um, far as you know them not following state and federal laws as far as their setting um, 
so for me to walk in and then also to see that they were six African-American boys, um, they were no different than any of the other children in the school as um, far as behavior. Um, they were just singled out because they had an IEP and they, uh, you know, were children with disabilities. Um, and then far as the illegal stuff goes, um, one day I was handed a envelope when I had a meet and greet with one of the parents and um, I was told to get the parents to sign this. Um, I opened the envelope prior to uh, handing it to the parents and I seen it was an IEP. Of course, by law, you have to send out a meeting notice to have an IEP, um, you know, signed and um, talked over with the parents and that we did not have a IEP meeting. It was just a regular, you know, meet and greet. Um, it was one night they had a, um, a basketball game. So we just met in the conference room uh, downstairs uh, at Oscarson Middle, um, you know, in the office. So um, I handed it to the parent. The parent looked at it. She just looked over. She was like, okay, is this right? Um, the assistant principal, Ms. Smith, she says, um, it's not exactly what you, it's not exactly the way it should be. However, you know, we're still working on that. And I told the parent, I said, if this was my child, I would not sign it. I would get someone to look over it. And I just kept repeating myself and I kept saying that. And the assistant principal, her face just turned red. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do what's right no matter what. Um, no matter what you say, no matter what you try to do, I'm going to do the right thing. Um, I just kept emphasizing, if this was my child, I would not sign this. So the parent told her, she said, do not. She says, um, the parent says, I will not cash a check. I will not. She said, don't give me a check that I can't cash. Um, being that I seen that the IP was backdated to December to show that the uh, that the child was in a self-contained setting was supposed to be in a self-contained setting the whole time. So it seemed like that there were no violations going on and they wanted me to do that with every one of the parents. Um, and I was not I was not going to do that. Um, and, and then, can I just kind of just jump in? I just um, I, I, because what, what you're talking about to me, that is one of the most outrageous straight up procedural violations and everybody that's watching this you cannot change a student's placement that has an IEP without having an IEP meeting you, you just can't you should not be unless the parent waves and says yeah just go ahead and send me something and I'll sign it but parents generally don't do that you don't want to do that by them doing that, that robbed those parents of understanding why was a decision made to change the setting? What are the services? Are the services on my IEP still relevant if I'm changing this placement? You know, it's there's there's just you know, or it's maybe some additional related services needed because you're going from a least restrictive environment, which is a general education setting with a general with a spent teacher, to the most restrictive environment. Mm -hmm. Whereas where you stay in that room the whole day. So I, I, I just, um, that when, when, you know, that was just one of the things that sends me over the edge about um, Chesapeake Public Schools doing this, but I know this is happening in other school districts. So parents, um, and even if, you know, just be aware, be aware. <laughs> you gotta know your rights. And the other thing that, that struck me was, um, I've had the opportunity to talk to three of these to the parents of three of the boys. 
And what I was hearing from them is when they were asking about the IEP and getting it updated, they were being told, oh, you got to work with us. Give us time. We were short staffed. Give us time. Give us time. So, Amani, I think you came in January. Is that right? That's yeah. correct. Okay. So before that, there was a whole part of the year where they were parents were being told, give us time. Give us time. Work with us. Work with us. We just don't have enough staff. And then um, two of the parents told me about how they found out. I think this was before you, Amani, or, or else it was. Uh, while you were um, with the National Guard, but I think it was before, at least one of the times, um, they, one of the boys never went to general ed, according to his mom, and he, even though that's what was on the IEP, and uh, the way a couple moms found out that they weren't where they were supposed to be, but that, that child's got a paper home from the school that listed like seven different classes that he'd be going to with different teachers. But he never did. He was in that self-contained classroom. And then uh, the way the, the moms, the, at least two of them found out, was their, their kiddo called them and said, Mom, the, you were told that we'd be in this class, and I'm in here with the five, five other boys and uh, with whoever it was they were with. So, um, yeah, there was some uh, deception going on, too. Correct. Yes, and then um, they, you know, send out emails. I still had access to my email, um, sent out emails saying this is the schedule so I confer with the mothers. Um, you know, they send me out the schedule, but where are they? Um, this is while I was still on military leave, um, and they were indeed not in the right setting because parents sent me, the children had recorded in the classroom, this is where I am because nobody, nobody believed them. So they recorded pictures of where they were at during the day, um, they really started, I, day one that I got in there, I taught them, you need to be a part of this process too, of your IEP. You need to know what's going on with your education. I wanted them to advocate for themselves. Um, so a lot of times they did go up to the assistant principal and they said, you know, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is not right. And it, 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 it like burned a hole in them. Um, and then one day, you know, a phone call I got from the assistant principal, Ms. Smith, was, you know, we can just fix it in the summer. I was like, I'm not waiting till the summer to fix this. You need to fix this now. They're missing out on a whole six great years. I have, I have children in my classroom that are misdiagnosed. Some children in my classroom that are excelling past the sixth grade level that need to, I said, they're bored. They're bored. They, they need to be challenged. Then I have those in my classroom that, could not even read, could not, could not even read a word, could not even read a sentence um, that needed that extra help. So it, it was hard for me. You know, I was promised I would get a, uh, um, you know, a TA the whole the whole time I was there. You're going to get a TA? We're going to get you somebody. We're going to get you somebody. Those boys were on totally different levels, and some of them needed me um, in different ways than others. Some, some of them needed me, you know, for emotional support. Some of them needed me more in academic areas. And there was no way I was, they were just trying to pull me in different directions. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and now I'll just jump into it and, and, and talk about that. I, I have all the IEPs. I've looked through all the records. So, you know, these kids, they're the last agreed upon IEP, meaning the last ones that the parents signed, um, all but one of the kids was supposed to get some general education minutes, mm -hmm. meaning they were supposed to be in an inclusion class. They didn't receive them. Um, um, and, and, and some were, some had a diagnosis of SLD 
Um, one of them I'm is probably twice exceptional, um, just from looking at some of the scores uh, that were taken years ago, but along with some ADHD. Um, and, and, and ADHD, there were more ADHD kinds of kiddos um, than ED kids. And none of them had related services, right? So there, there were no additional supports um, until parents started learning and asking for functional behavioral assessments and then BIPs and then things like that. And that still didn't necessarily happen um, per those requests. Um, the, one of the things that I, I think it's important to share here and, and one of the things that was glaring to me was if you're in a situation where your child hasn't been evaluated since he was in third grade and he's going into the fifth grade, or better yet, the school's never evaluated your child. They just had a prescription and said, okay, we'll give them an IEP. You need to, you need to request full comprehensive evaluations. Um, and when I say full comprehensive, I mean a full psychological evaluation that looks at sensory, that looks at processing, that looks at um, ADHD, that looks at executive functioning, because that is different in a lot of ways than ADHD, that looks at the scope of what may be getting in the way of your child learning. Um, that might mean language, a language evaluation. And I don't mean speech. I don't mean the ability to say a word or, or articulate a word. How about the way that you receive information when people talk to you, right? The, the ability to, your, your receptive language skills. Are you understanding and comprehending what's being said? And these kids, we never, and we've been asking, I, when I came in, we've been asking for full comprehensive evaluations and just getting to the table is has been a nightmare. So um, I wanted to throw in tips on why what they did, did was wrong and what should have been done as she discussed this case. Thank you. Hey, hey real, real quickly, I wanted to let you know that Sean has just joined us. So I'm gonna bring Sean up on the screen as well. So. Hello, there everybody. We go. Hey there, Sean. Made it. <laughs> Hello. I apologize. The doctor's appointment ran ran way behind. No we are worries, glad no to have you. Absolutely. We, everybody already knows all about you. <laughs> uh, not really, but I did give the introduction about you. what your experience is. Uh, could I ask a, a clarifying question? Um, so it was it just these six boys in the standalone classroom? It was just them. Um, okay. But to my knowledge, there were there are many violations going throughout the school. Um, as you know, I had to, I had to tread careful on who I was to talk to, but a lot of people did come to me saying, we didn't even know you were a teacher here. No one introduced you. No one said anything about you. So it was like, it was like the biggest hidden secret in the school. So everybody wanted to know who was Miss Hill and why were these boys in her classroom? So mm -hmm. a lot of teachers did come talk to me and I was, they just looked at my classroom and they kind of just shook their head. And they yeah. were like, it, they, one teacher said to me, you'll be surprised at, um, you know, all the other stuff that's going on in the school. They said, just keep your eyes open. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it was these six boys and the, the thought was that, um, None of them, if I'm understanding correctly, none of them had a standalone classroom as their only setting. All of them had some component of general education that they should have been in, but they weren't. 
Correct. And even the one IEP that did say self-contained, that did not go into effect until, um, what was it, maybe December of, I want to say maybe December. And even then, they were not clear in the parent understanding the IEP as well. So that parent did not understand what they were signing, what was going on, what was even a self-contained mm-hmm. setting. Their thing was, you know, when the principal, when all them kick it to the mom, it's, oh, yeah, this is what's best for your child. far mm-hmm. as them telling that same parent, you know, your child cannot come to school unless they have medication. So right. that parent was, you know, forced to medicate their child every single day, even though the medication, like, it made the child like a zombie. It made mm-hmm. the child would, would, I mean, one day in my classroom, the child would just flip chairs and just you could tell that it was not they he was misdiagnosed and that medication mm. did not was not for him it was not mm. and i and i what? called the mom one day and i told and i told her i said you do what's best for your child i said they cannot force you to make your child take medication and right. this and even having this child in this setting these children in the setting, they felt like they were in prison, and a lot of their, a lot of their fathers were locked up, or maybe uh, parents made and the, mo- up and the mothers, and the mothers and, as well. The mothers. Correct. So, mm-hmm. so with that being said, uh, you know, they some of them start to develop um, suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. As, I would rather kill myself than to come to school, and that that hurt me. That right. hurt mm-hmm. me. That hurt me right. so bad. Yeah. So this this classroom was literally set up for these six boys. Like we're, we're, we're supposed to believe that suddenly they all had the same individual education needs. They all suddenly exactly. had the same need to be in this self-contained setting. Uh, and exactly. we're, we're put there without any authorization from the parents. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the amazing part too, when, you know, it, when you look at the IEPs, I can see why they, they knew it was wrong. Literally under your present level of performance, like, and that's where you're supposed to really develop what are the needs of the child? Like how the disability impacts the child? What's going with the child? They literally have like one sentence statement. I've never seen a present level performance that only covers this much of a page. So yeah. that to me shows they put no effort, right, into developing an IEP plan that would act address their needs. I mean, it, it was nothing. Chesapeake Public Schools and Dr. Penny Schultz, the principal of the school, who is also, by way, um, we understand an ex-police officer. Um, this is a school, you know, this is a school district where only 32% of the students are Black, right? Only 32, that's a small percentage. However, they make up 778 of students that are expelled, expulsed from race. And so the short-term expansions are, are as bad. This is a Title I school. I would say probably 90% of the students are receiving, and I'm gonna say free free, free or reduced lunch, but a lot of them free lunch. Um, and it is a community school. So um, they are in an impoverished community. And the principal of the school knew this. And they chose to run this school in a format of an alternative school mm-hmm. versus recognizing this is a middle school where you're, you're getting extra funding, right? They had these behavioral coaches that, or extra academic coaches that they've hired, but none of that trickled down to any true equitably, equitable results. Um, it, it just never occurred. Um, I, I, 
I want to get into the idea, and, and, and Imani, this is one of the things that's most disgusting to me, and, and this is something that I really want parents to know. Um, they have what they call special education supervisors. In some states, they call them special education coordinators, but there are people that work at a central office, right? They work at an office that's not in the school, and usually their job is to come in and, and see what they can do, at least my experiences with them. Even in school districts like Virginia Beach, they come in and they try and see what can we do to work this out. And, and I know this is, exists around the country, right? It's that sped ed person. Um, this one assigned to this school, her, her, her privilege, her white privilege really caused additional harm to these parents. And Amani, I want you to share with me how she told one of those kids that they should be in jail. Can, do you mm -hmm. mind um, just going over that scenario of of um, of like how they talk behind the you know even to their face and then behind their back? Because parents need to understand that just because you're sitting in that IEP meeting and they're smiling at you behind the scenes, this is the kind of things that they're saying, and that's why you always have to have your guard up and document and protect yourself. Lori, do you want to share what Lori Tibbetts said? Correct. Um, so an incident had happened. Um, I know my mother was, she she can tell you more in detail because she was there. Um, but I know what was said and she knew what was going on because she came in my classroom one day. Um, the coordinator, um, and I'm saying her name, Lori Tibbetts, she um, came in one day and she, you know, she came in my classroom acting like she didn't know what was going on. A lot of people came in, did not act like they acted like they did not know what was going on, but they were very aware of what was going on. She kind of wanted to see what I knew. Um, so I laid everything out, showed her documentation. And what she tells me is, you know, um, these IEPs are, I'm going to say it in a nice way, messed up. Hmm. That's not really what she said, but she knew she knew they were messed up. Um, and she's like, okay, we need to get all this testing. But when she's seen, you know, she's like, I love these kids. I love these boys. But then when, you know, when she gets around everybody else, it's, oh, yeah, if, if anything happens, we're just going to cover it up and say that, you know, we were doing it for the best interest of, of the children. And also for her to tell, um, you know, one of my children, oh, yeah, you should be locked up for your behavior. Hmm. I mean, like I said, my, my, my kids, they were not, they were no different than any typical sixth grader. Sixth graders are just trying to get a feel for everything. They're trying to mature. They're trying to, they're, they're children. They're children still, but you know they're trying—they're just trying to get a feel for themselves. That's where you kind of start to develop yourself, your self-confidence. So they were no different than any other sixth-grade student that just needed guidance and love. No different. Yeah, and certainly if their if their needs are not being met, if their needs aren't being met, I mean, this is what we see with restraint and seclusion, suspension, expulsion—kids that are not having their needs appropriately met then you might see interfering behaviors because we're not meeting the children's needs. And if that's, you know, if that was what's happening, these kids aren't having their needs met and, and then they're getting judged on behaviors because they're not having their needs met. Uh, it really creates this, this cycle. So yeah, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. I, I worked with them this summer. Um, so those, those boys, um, three on three. So it was, I had three groups together of a certain level and the other three of a certain level. I never had any of those behaviors. I saw, I saw the shedding down, but as soon as you redirected them and gave them a positive, you know, about, you know, hey, you've been doing a great job. Come on, you can do this. And they were in my home. 
I never got any of those behaviors that Oscar Smith had. And I saw so many things and I saw so many blind spots that all you had to do was give them more breaks. I allowed them to sit on the floor. I gave them, I gave, I, I kind of let them drive as long as we got the work done. They kind of drove, um, you know, the, the activities, but they got the work done and they felt better about themselves. But I never had a chair thrown. No one ever tried to leave my house. No one cursed me. Nothing. I got so, none of that. So there are a couple things that I, I wanted to say and ask. Um, having been able to talk to three of the moms, uh, one of the things that I heard was they were told nobody wants to take your your child. Mm. That's why you can't have this class. There's no besides being told bear with us. We don't have staff. They were told to their face, nobody wants your child in their class. So that's one thing. So they're hiding some stuff, but they're blatantly saying um, just incredibly hurtful things also. And th the other thing is that um, I, what I heard from several different people, some of it was what you all have told me, but the mom's telling me too is they would, the kids would be put into, first I wanted to say something you reminded me about the suspension. Uh, one of the moms was called, she said every day, but when she really thought through it, she, it was about 15 out of 30 days. So about half the time, half the days of the week, she was called to come and get him. And if she didn't come and get him, she would have, uh, they, they would have the police. police uh, have, yeah, the, and, and indeed, police took one of the kids home one day, parents weren't home, they couldn't reach the parents, they sent the kid home with the police. But the other thing is, as far as the the boredom and the teaching and the, the kids who didn't have the ability to loan or loan, <laughs> learn on their own, they needed the teaching, the guidance. Um, they, many times it sounded like they were put in a room with a babysitter, not a teacher. I mean, the babysitter might have been the assistant principal. It might have been another teacher, but it was not somebody who was actively teaching them. Is is that what you saw too? Correct. Um, as far as them not even providing me with their grade level work, I was not given work from any other teachers. No one collaborated with me. I was like begging and pleading for work. Even me pulling up stuff off the internet, you know, printing stuff off, just putting together my own stuff. Um, for them, I mean, I'm just begging teachers, hey, like, well, we were told not to work with you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and was that by Penny Schultz, the principal? It, was Penny that her ran, She ran the show. She ran the show. She was, she was the, the, the top, the mastermind. Everybody else just followed along with her. And if you did not follow along with her, like she told me, you either do it or else. So I had an IEP that was due for one of the students. Um, I think it was due like that next week. And I did write the IEP. However, up there, I put no current data and, you know, no updated testing where it said current level performance, where it said a lot of those sections where you do need that hard data, I put mm -hmm. in there, I do not like, don't, I don't have no updated testing. I do not have the data. She was like, this is not acceptable. I said, but it's the truth. Right. So I said, she said, okay, we'll just put copy page, you know, what was up there, kind of put something together and then we will do the testing. I said, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I said, this is this kid's life. I said, I yeah. take an IEP as this kid's life. This is going to be, this is going to make or break him. 
And that's how yeah. I thought about it. And, and just as a reminder, this was your first teaching job, correct? This is my first head teaching job, yes. Okay, first head teaching job. Uh, and yet they were providing no one to provide any kind of help or support. No. So almost as if they were purposely just putting you off and hoping you would follow whatever direction they gave you, as limited as it was, and, and not helping these boys. Correct. Even I had to develop my own behavioral system. Um, hmm. Mind you, this is my first. I was like, okay. I was going to figure it out either way. I'm a very right. adjustable, right. adaptive type person. However, I didn't feel like if I have a mentor there, my mentor at least was supposed to help me. Somebody right. was at least supposed to guide me and help me. And I kind of had to figure it out myself. Right. Um, be, be, because these were kids that they had decided were, were so challenging that they needed to be in a standalone classroom, yet they weren't providing any support or structure. And, and, and you know, thank goodness that you, you, you were so courageous and stood up for what was right. I've, I've got so much admiration and respect for you because it, it's really difficult. I mean, people go into situations like this and, and they do what they're told, not because they necessarily think it's right, but just it's kind of, oh, well, somebody told me to do this. And and thank goodness for these boys that that's not you. That you were somebody that clearly had some background, you know, from, from your mom. Yeah, yeah exactly. back home from her mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's gone back because I, um, her her interventions were very important, and I'd love for her to kind of talk because as Amani was saying all this stuff, you know, you know, she was like, "What what the heck's going on?" Because really, when you hear this story, if you're in any part of the country, it, even if you're in Chesapeake and you're not poor and black, <laughs> and you hear this story, you're gonna be like, "No, no, this can't be true." But yeah. it is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Oh, look, Heather Luke. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, Heather, Heather, a good friend of ours, uh, brought, brought up a comment here. Chesapeake Public Schools told me that my son, Carson Luke, uh, that no one wanted to teach him. Yeah. And he so yeah, and that. That, was, that was years ago. Penny um, Schultz. That was what <laughs> the right. principal, Penny Schultz, correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. I mean. I mean, that's a thing there. It's I mean, questionable. Yeah, when 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 the whole Carson story, the restraint and seclude inclusion, his his pain, Penny Schultz was mm. the person in charge mm. at that time. Mm -hmm. So they promoted her from uh, CSAT to now being um, a principal at a predominantly African American school with lower social economic students with diagnosed and undiagnosed disabilities to run it like a little mini prison. Um, and, and, and I think another important piece, and I'm, I hope Sean comes back on is what happened when you reached out to the Virginia department of education for help. And I, I have even called, um, you know, one day in my classroom, I had to lock the door and, you know, I was kind of giving them wind of what was going on. And it was, you need to go back down and talk to, you know, someone at your school. How can I talk to someone at my school when they're these are the people that are clearly against me? So. You know, and and what I see in this situation is an exact parallel to what's happening in Virginia and probably every state across the United States in terms of the police department and the criminal justice system. The the agency itself is unwilling or unable to police itself. They direct you back. We had the same situation with a, with a 20 year old, 21 year old that you directed back to the to the perpetrators. Um, it's not functional. It's not um, it's not 
I'm saying ethical, that may not be the right word, but it's certainly the treatment. Moral. Yeah. <laughs> That's the okay. word that I'm looking for. I mean, these kids were treat, treat these kids and their parents were treated inhumanely, uh, like they were not kids of value. These kids, their their esteem and their their thinking about, do I have value? Am I able to learn what I? It was not only not supported, it was trampled. Mm -hmm. um, and Imani, you said something I want to bring up too, because you were talking about how you had no materials, you had uh, all of this, and, and you were out for almost a month, I think, for the National Guard, and then and then you had a medical thing. And when you came back, you were handed, or maybe it was before, I don't know. At any rate, at one point, you were handed these documents and said, give the kids their grades. Correct. So I was even with the the material I was given. Um, I'm sorry with the with the stuff that I was giving the children as far as my material. Um, some of it, some of the students could not do grade level work, and I'm like, how how in the world did how did you how did you just pass them along without even them being able to do this sixth grade material so i kind of had to I, everybody's work was different i had to level out everyone's work because there was no way you know we we tried but then the children would get frustrated um mm. because they clearly there there was they were clearly misdiagnosed mm. so you know leveling out the work and i went to go collaborate with the other teachers i'm like okay you know, this is the second half of the year, you know, the grades are going to be combined from, should be combined from last half, you know, before I got here, and then the grades I have now. I was told, you know, don't worry about, don't worry about the work they did in that classroom by my administration. Uh, just worry about the focus on the work you did. So, of course, you know, if I'm leveling the workout, they're doing very good on it. They have that one-on-one. -on -one. So, you know, a lot of A's, grades improved. Grades improved dramatically from mm -hmm. from having all E's to now having A's and B's and C's. Mm -hmm. So it looks like, oh, yep, what you're doing, you know, us putting them in a self-contained setting, that worked. That, that wasn't the long term. Far as academically, it looked like it worked. But far as behavioral-wise, I mean, I still had, um, you know, a lot of fights in my classroom. Um, stuff that, like I said, it was a big melting pot of different, um, a mixture of different children. I mean, I even had one mm -hmm. of the children. He he could qualify as ID. His IQ was his IQ was very 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 low. He could yes. be ID. There was no he, way he should be in yeah. a setting with those. There is no way. Yeah, his, no his in fact his diagnosis is ID, and they put him in a in an ED self contained class. Mm -hmm. And again, and they, without they, having an IEP meeting, <laughs> just want to throw that out there. <laughs> and they said his adapters were too high for them to put him in an ID classroom, which I never heard, never, never, never heard. So, so you're obviously a very compassionate and caring person who went in there um, and, and really wanted sincerely to help and to make a positive difference. Um, so I'm guessing that that over the time that you were there, that you, you probably did begin to develop. I'm sure it's very difficult for, for boys like this that are being really being pushed down the school to prison pipeline, I'm sure it's very difficult for them to trust as, as somebody else comes in uh, because they've probably been let down so many times to get where they are. But were you able to begin developing positive relationships? Because I, I would certainly attribute some of their, some of the success that you were seeing to that, knowing how compassionate you are. Um, 
I don't think for any person it's, it's not hard to see the difference between real and fake. Um, and those children are very, they're very um, intuitive. They're very smart. They know the difference between someone that loves them and someone that does not. So it was very easy for me to get in the classroom. I did not have, I set the tone when I came in my classroom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come at you with respect and you're going to come at me with respect. I never mm-hmm. had anybody cuss me out. I never had anybody putting their hands on me. If anything, they backed me up from the administration. They mm-hmm. always, you're not going to come in Miss Hill's classroom. You're not going to disrupt her. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. they would even tell the administration sometimes. They would always try to peep their head in and, you know, just, <laughs> be nosy. <laughs> they, they would just, I don't, I'm like, okay, if you're not here to do anything positive, then yeah, they do need to leave my classroom. So they would even tell the administration, like, y'all go ahead, like, we're in the middle of a lesson. Like, why are you here? Um, but you know, I always taught them, you know, their delivery may have not been correct, but I always taught them, okay, even though they're doing wrong, be respectful. I say, you're still a child. And they, they still carry that mentality of being respectful. And one thing I always taught them, I said, prove them wrong. I said, mm-hmm. let's walk downstairs to the lunchroom like we got some sense. I said, let's show them that you don't deserve to be in this setting. Let's mm-hmm. show them. Let's show them who you really are. So they would walk downstairs in a straight line, you know, not having their, because in Oscar they can't wear hoods. So no hoods going, just really like even they were like, why would you let them walk the class by themselves? I said, because I know they can do it. That's right, why. Right, right, right. Yeah, and you do that. Yeah. yeah. You build that relationship with them and they, they trust you and they trust you. And they, they I mean, we, we uh, what was it I was reading, Beth, that you recently you read the same thing, but something to the fact that we, we want to work yeah. for people we like. You know, we want to work yeah. for people that, that are, are treat us well. And, you know, I mean, it sounds like that, you know, it sounds like the boys and the families were aware that you were really advocating and wanting to help them. But what yeah. was the flip side of that? I mean, what happened when the school began to realize that you were pushing back or advocating for the boys? What what happened then? Um, I had a lot of people coming into my classroom, a lot, trying to find nitpick, trying to find stuff that was wrong to, like I said, there was no reason for them to not, there was no reason for them to fire me. Um, so they had to find a reason. Like I said, she said that or else I knew what or else meant and I was ready for that consequence, but I did nothing wrong for them to want to do anything. So they were trying to just find stuff and they could never find anything until until word got out, you know, with the interviews that I did, um, you know, the when I went to HR had a meet, I got a non-renewal letter from Penny Short saying stating that I would not complete IEPs, that I wouldn't do the job. And when I met with HR, I said, here are the IEPs that I did. It, you know, these are accurate. This is accurate with the data that I have. And they said, okay, you know, well, we'll just allow you to resign. And then, you know, nothing will go on your record. So I was like, okay, if I did something wrong, shouldn't I be fired? Shouldn't I not get the option to resign if mm-hmm. I did something wrong? So so it, they said also um, when I was like, why, why is this happening? Um, you know, what I got told was you brought too much attention to the school. You brought too much attention for the school to the school for you advocating for these boys. And and can I just jump in there and say the amazing piece about that is this is the same school district that had that school board member post that racist comment publicly on her Facebook page that, you know, that there was a petition. Now, to me, that's too much attention and negative attention. She's a whistleblower. 
what she shared was about helping people. And there's two things I want to say here. This, this somebody here, Marcus Han, is asking, where is Principal Schultz located? She still has a job. She is still at Oscar Smith Middle School. There is no accountability. That's the whole problem. He says, this is highly unacceptable. Where's the accountability piece? Chesapeake Public School. The superintendent knows what is going on. Dr. Lane, who is the superintendent for the Virginia Department of Education, knows what is going on. Dr. Samantha Hollins, who is in charge of special education assistant superintendent, they all know what is going on and they've done nothing, nothing to help. Other than a tank. And, and, and Sean's back, which I'm, like, I'm glad because she can really talk about how they tried to use Lori Tibbet to con the parents into thinking that she was on their side. But the reality of it was she was saying some really raunchy things like, we won't get in trouble. We'll get a smack on the hand if we get caught. Do you mind? Yeah, um, I, said in a, I said in an IEP meeting with Lori and that student and the mother, um, and I brought to her attention, I said, hey, did you tell this child that he should go to jail? She admitted it. She said, I was angry. And I gave her the lecture of, as a teacher, we can't show our anger. We're not supposed to express ourselves. I said, because do you understand the power of words? I said, that one statement could possibly have that child thinking that that's all he's destined to do is go to jail. I said, but imagine if you had told him something positive and uplifting. Those words could take him to higher heights. And she got in the meeting and cried and, you know, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We even signed back in March. We signed permission for testing that has not been done at all. Um, and then she made she made it her business to make sure that I knew that she was going to retire. Um, she had these parents really thinking that she that, you know, well, don't worry about what they're doing. I've got your back. And she did not have their back either. No one did. And, and to start this off, when Imani came, when I found out what was going on, I contacted the Department of Education myself. And I said, hey, I have a, it's a situation at Austin Smith Middle School, and this has got to be rectified. I contacted, who was that again, Cheryl? Yeah, I can't. You're, mute. you're on mute. Better. And I know better. Um, you contacted uh, Pat Hines, who is in charge Pat of the resolution for the. He contacted us. Uh, she said, um, Oscar, she said that the um, Dr. Pinello's office will be calling me back. Well, I got a um, never got anything back from them. I emailed her back and, uh, you know, a lot of emailing and calling. And finally, when. Um, Dr. Perkins called me back. She said, oh, well, um, no, I called Dr. Perkins. She said, well, um, she didn't tell me to call you. And I said, well, how would we fix it if you don't call me? Are you, we gonna read each other's minds or something? So the, Dr. Pinello's office knew at the very beginning. They tried to get me on the phone several times to agree to meetings with them and you know, to agree to mediation. They didn't, but they never once checked Oscar Smith to say, hey, this is wrong and we need to fix this all all along. I mean, it's just been this big rub full of junk under it that can <laughs> grow like a mountain. 
And I'm really, can you talk about also how these kids had no court involvement in the community? Only court involvement happened once we started advocating or once you came into effect and all of the court referrals were by the school. The, and they were by the, school, the school officer. Um, well, one of them that is on probation now back in December, there was an incident where he threw a tennis, he finished his work. He threw the tennis ball. He has ADHD. You know, they're going to be busy. He threw a tennis ball. The teacher reached out to get it and hyperextended her arm. Therefore, he has an assault charge currently on probation. Two of the other boys were in the bathroom. Um, they said it was an, an altercation that they threw a milk cart at a, at a Caucasian student. And they both were charged with um, assault. But when I took them down to see the probation officer, the probation officer knew me and my history. And I explained to her what was going on at the school. So she did not charge them. And I put in-home counseling in the home. I had family therapy, um, referred the parents to um, some of the parents also to therapists and medication management. I put stuff in place that really the school should have said, hey, how can we help these families and put these things in place? For me, an outsider, I put all these things in place and I kept those boys off probation. Um, the the probation officer called me regularly to see how they're doing. And now those two boys are off probation. They, they didn't get any probation. They just kind of got um, supervised, um, supervised, I guess. I don't I forgot what the name is called, but they weren't formally charged. And all because of a milk carton and uh, being mm. thrown at a student that threatened to fight them. So these are matters that the school should have handled in-house, but they did not. Absolutely. Okay. And not only that, yeah. the, the Caucasian yeah, student did put his hands on on the other students. So the Caucasian <laughs> trial did not get in trouble at all. No ISS, no suspension, nothing mm -hmm. happened. And the manifestation determination meeting, right, um, about the interaction with the milk, the IEP team oh, determined. No, no, no. It was a, oh, was it a different kid? Not with the milk. The one with the tennis okay. ball, the manifestation okay. proved that the child's actions were part of the behavior. But the school still proceeded forward with charges, hmm. and this student was just charged last month and is on probation. Well, and you know what I understood about that, and I may be wrong, but I, I've heard the story several times that he, she he didn't actually touch her. He did not touch she, her. It was she, she hyperextended her arm to try to retrieve the ball. Right. And so this kid never even touched the woman. But who mm -hmm. says she had to catch the ball? Exactly. Exactly. It was it was self. Right. Right. Self-inflicted. Inflicted. Self-inflicted. Correct. Yeah. That, and that the idea right. that she went to court and then tried to say, "Oh, but he's one of my best students," yeah. And, yeah. and mentioned that there was a concern with the IEP, she still allowed to testify against him to get probation, and had the audacity. And again, this is what we need about microaggression when it comes to race. Had the nerve to ask if she could hug the kid after he just got put on probation. And, and, and here's, like, here, here's something that I learned today, I mean this week, um, the Justice Forward Virginia organization, I always believed that once you got to 18, your record was expunged. 
Well, so many years ago, that law was done away with. So anything that happens with with kids is on their record. It stays on their record. So uh, this is the first time offenders program that he got. So let's say if something does happen, he is no longer privy to the first time offenders program, all because the teacher decided to be, um, you know, this this amazing softball player and grab a ball from the air. Can, can so I ask a question real quick? Prison a pipeline like that. Mm -hmm. That's how easy it is. The school oh, creates that prison a pipeline. Absolutely. That's how easy it is. Right, right, how right, easy. Right. Um, yeah. Kind of shifting gears here to, to the really the, the issues going on with the school itself. Uh, and Cheryl, maybe you'll be a good one to start this, but but thinking about the the IDEA violations, you know what what the school did wrong here, and then you know have there been state complaints or OCR complaints or any other formal process so far to look at some of these issues? Oh, you're muted. I'm sorry, Cheryl. <laughs> so, so one of the at the time, you know, when Sean brought me into it because she wasn't getting any movement from them. I mean, just none at all. Um, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this should be easy. We go to an IEP meeting, we request testing, we update the IEP, we find out the true disability, and then we request compensatory services based on the new, you know, what the kid needs. Oh, no, 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 none of that. It, it was, um, that's when the retaliation, I mean, I mean, it, it, and not even retaliation, I, I really believe, in, and, and this is kind of interesting in working with a white advocate that's helping me with this case, like when I share these specific, the specific things with her, she can see it from the pure lens of IDEA, ADA violations, right? Um, you know, making parents jump through hoops to be able to attend an IEP meeting, um, refusing to allow the parent's advocate to be part of an IEP meeting, refusing to communicate with, with the parent's advocate in scheduling an IEP meeting. Mm. So, I mean, I wrote a, a request to have IEP meetings, it took them 42 days to respond. Mm. And the response was, no, we will not be communicating with you. And if we're gonna have an IEP meeting, we're gonna do it directly with the parents. So it's been an extremely hard guy. I mean, because every step of the way, if the Virginia Department of Education isn't putting a roadblock up, the freaking school district is. Chesapeake Public Schools, Penny Schultz is allowed to put up these roadblocks because the intent was, Let's schedule IEP meetings. Let's identify where we are in the process of fixing this mess, right? And also let's talk about the fact that the educational support and the education instructions that these kids have gotten are from volunteer special education teachers that are saying, um, I will do defer payment to educate these kids because what has happened is disgusting. They got nothing. So um, right now, based on yesterday, um, we definitely will be following a, a complaint. I'm sorry. You just can't mute a mother. You cannot put the mother on mute during her own child's IEP when she's participating by phone. You just don't do that. I, 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 I mean, any advocate that I share that with, when I tell them that, they're like, you're lying. I'm like, no. They literally put her on mute. Um, the other thing you can't do is when the mother announces, before you put her on mute, the mother announces, I have these other individual. I give permission for these people to be in my child's IEP meeting. I'm going to, they can participate by Zoom. I only have a phone. Let them in and guess. And, and then Mr. Hardy says, yes, sure, of course, you can let them in. 
they never get let in. Mm -hmm. So from an IDEA perspective, yes, we are definitely going to be following on that. Not that, but, but remember, guy, Dr. Hollins and Dr. Lane, the superintendent for the state of Virginia, know this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they don't know. They don't care. I don't believe they're mm-hmm. going to do anything. But I'm going to file the complaint because when the VDOE does nothing, then I'm going to file with OCR against the VDOE for allowing this to happen, for mm-hmm. allowing the racial discrimination, for allowing students for chase, um, placements to be changed without parents even attending an IEP, more or less uh, signing signing it. It, it, it's, it is it is disgusting. And no, we don't have a good NAACP in the Tidewater area. They are in the pocket. Somebody put that in there. I'm just letting you know. And the NAACP locally does not do anything to protect black and brown kids. Black Lives Matter would be a better support. But Except on top of that, there are a group of advocates from across the country that have come together to say, we want to help these babies. So we are getting donations for books because, um, you know, they need to be able to read. We are, um, like I said, we found uh, someone um, who is an educator, but also a tester who is saying that she will evaluate for us. We've decided that since the district wants to discriminate against them, we're going to provide community resources together to save these children. <laughs> so this story, I'm hoping this story out here, if there's anybody that wants to help with, you know, just making sure these kids can get services. If you guys want to help by sending some books um, that represent who they are, which are African-American, just so they can have some reading materials. If you could, if you want to do any of that, uh, help with any complaints, proofread complaints, um, please contact us. And, and we would love to, we'd love to help. The parents are so, you know, they're so you know, grateful, you know, the, you know, just, just having them just knowing that somebody like, like Amani cares makes, I mean, you can just see it in their face, but when they saw how many people were supporting them, it is amazing how just seeing their expression of, of appreciation can fill your soul mm-hmm. in the mix, in the mix of something so disgusting, right? That, that knowledge, oh my God, these kids care. They're getting something they weren't right. getting. All these parents realize they're valued. There, there is some intrinsic endorphins that come from that, for me at least. Right. Yeah, they they've been so beat down, and they've yeah. been they've been. I, I know the word I keep hearing is gaslighted, um, because they were told so many false things uh, oh. until they had a truth teller come along. Yeah. I mean, the, the parents yeah. have been gaslighted until the truth teller came along. Um, right. But there are a couple things. Someone mentioned what about um, ACLU and someone mentioned the Black Lives Matter. And uh, I, I'm working with another situation in Virginia Beach that uh, Black, Lives, Black Lives Matter is working very hard to support, but they are being opposed and having uh, being refused to um, have permits to, uh, what do you call it, protest, whatever. They're not, they're being opposed by the white establishment. And so I don't know whether it's a whole Tidewater thing or what, um, but it, it, it seems to be um, that, that the racism is really, really big. And I also keep seeing here about um, the accountability. And this is, I don't think we've said it yet, but Virginia just last month got a formal notification from OSEP, the Office of Special Education Programs, that the Department of Education, Virginia Department of Education, 
is out of compliance with their supervision and monitoring, uh, which is, that's what I used to do in early intervention. It's, it's your oversight. It's your monitoring to seeing what's going on. It's your giving guidance to help people, the local system to do what they're supposed to do. They were found out of compliance with that, and they were, and part of that involves complaints. They were found they're they're not taking the complaints at the state level the way they're supposed to. But in spite of that, you've had more interactions, Cheryl, with them since they got this letter. And exactly. did that change their interactions? Their their interactions continue to be. We're not going to do anything yet. Um, I I just have to acknowledge this too. We have Carson Luke here. Do you see that? Um, yeah. And, and, and for those who don't know, uh, Carson Luke is a student who went to a Chesapeake public school and was horrendously abused. I mean, we're talking broken arms. We're talking, um, I mean, broken fingers and feet. I mean, she, it was just a disgusting, a disgusting thing. And, and he is aware of this because his mother, even though she's in Maryland, is also helping on the case. And he's saying that Penny was so rude to me um, did not want kids to learn. And I, and I think that's powerful statement that students who had her way, like when he was in elementary school, can still relate to how horrible she's being allowed to treat current students. I think that says a lot about the system in Virginia, right? Um, and as far as the Virginia Department of Education, I've given up on, their, on them wanting to do anything. Um, I am looking forward to having a conversation with Bobby Scott, Congressman Scott, and that that is an area that he covers. Um, I also believe that Elizabeth Guzman, who is a delegate in the state of Virginia, uh, would be very interested in providing some relief or at least oversight um, as, as the group. Like I said, there are a group of advocates that are working together. So as far as uh, the bigger complaint, um, how that will be, that other lawsuit that has to come <laughs> of some sort. I'd rather not say too much because I guarantee you somebody from the district is watching and we don't want to tip our hand. Do, do you anticipate any of the families filing Office of Civil Rights complaints or uh, looking for any um, you know, legal support? Um, it's already started. We, okay. we, uh, I, I can just say this. There's this wonderful African-American attorney in North Carolina by the name of Keith Howard. He will be interviewed on NAPSI coming up. And um, he, he, will, uh, he is considering how to approach this case. Um, I'm also a friend with Keith Peck. Keith Peck is an attorney out of Hawaii who had filed the um, class action lawsuit against the Hawaii Department of Education. He does consultant work in cases like this. So um, I'm going to be bringing him into our fold of mm -hmm. options we need to consider. But I don't want to say too much because Reed Smith is the law firm that represents this school, school district. They represent 90% of the school districts. However, in the Tidewater area, Chesapeake is the only school district that, that they spend $400 an hour to tell them not to let an advocate participate in the meeting. And this is how bad it is. I just have to say this one thing. There's one last thing is that I literally have clients that are white in Chesapeake right now, right now. And my white clients, the clients that I work with, their principals or case managers will include me in an email when they are talking about, okay, we are confirming this date for an IEP meeting, or this is how you log into an IEP meeting. 
I mean, it's happening. However, Craig Pinello, the director of special education, sent me a letter telling me he will not allow staff to communicate with me in trying to help set up meetings for these kids. Mm -hmm. And my question is, Craig Pinello, your wife is at Grassfield. I was in an IEP meeting where that case manager included me in an invite on my Gmail. But then here for the white client, but here for the black client, you're not going to talk to me? Anybody that can explain that to me, please, uh, because my lens is you're treating these poor black families with disabilities differently than you are uh, uh, treating these white families with disabilities. Hey, sure. Real quick, you, you had mentioned you had mentioned NAPSI, and just for anybody who doesn't know, can you tell them a little bit about what NAPSI is? Um, NAPSI. Because it might be interested in tuning into that other um, session yes. you mentioned. So NAPSI is the National Allies of, for Parents in Special Education, and uh, we are a national organization uh, where we generally just come together doing um, and have conferences. In fact, we were supposed to be in Virginia because we were so concerned about the issues in Virginia October this year for our national conference. However, because of the virus, we're going to have to do something differently. But um, Nat, what, what we do is we really try to make sure that community that the community, and especially the community of your lower social economic status and your black and brown children, that there are resources, that, that we are providing free information on our website as much as possible, and free, not website, but our Facebook pages, and website as much as possible, so that they can understand that when the school changes your child's IEP, child's placement three times without an IEP meeting, that, that is extremely wrong. <laughs> and then hopefully that they can find somebody that's in their area that would be willing to help. Um, so uh, yeah, that's what we are, that's what we do. We, we've had some major leadership changes. So we're really excited about how that's gonna translate into maybe more direct actions that we might be able to take on behalf of systems, right? Um, so that's NAPSI. That's great, that's great. So yeah. I, I have a question, in, in terms of you know, we've heard that community resources being pulled together to help the boys now, um, that there's further action that's going to be taken in terms of uh, whatever complaint process takes place. But do any of you know how the boys are doing now in terms of just their their own, their, their well-being, their, their mental well-being? And, and yes. you know, this is something they've gone through. How, how are they doing? Yeah. Um, some of them are, I know, after the one that just got put on probation, his mom's sending them to Petersburg. Um, I know a few of them are um, spiraling. I wouldn't say out of control, but I, I do get a lot of calls from parents um, regarding some issues. Um, so I do, you know, whether I go over to the house or I speak to them on the phone, um, I do try to keep them on the right track. But like I said, with all, with everything that's going on with their, their self-confidence have been lowered. I mean, they have just been, I, this this really, I think, destroyed. I wouldn't say destroyed them, but it, one of them has um, recently started um, acting out at home with stealing from mom because the mom talks to me often, and um, you know I've given her some further recommendations of things we can try to do to put in place. He still has a in home counselor, um, and we are in the process of um, of looking at testing for them right now as we. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I told them about how we got people that are volunteering to help. 
that are credentialed to help to get the assessments done, at least the educational assessments, so we know where the kids are. And then these, we're we're looking at, you know, you know, they've collected data. The the volunteer, the uh, the tutors that were providing the support, they've collected data and they know how these kids learn, and they can show that in small settings, individualized settings, that they can learn and make progress. So. Our goal is to even if we can set up some kind of educational pod for them in October, I mean, September, because none of the parents want to send these kids to that to a Chesapeake public school. Yeah. And, and, and the kids are actually having PSTD about the idea of having to go back to Oscar Smith mm-hmm. School. So that we, we are definitely and, and Sean will definitely be in charge of those educational pieces. So um and, and, and Sean, too, we have somebody here that's saying that they want to help his name. Mark, Mark was. Uh, Hannah, it says, Cheryl, thank you for what you're doing. Um, how can I assist? And so as we get into structuring what they're, Sean's going to be doing to move forward, educating them, um, yes, we may need additional help with getting some books and some materials because there's no way, there's just no way those kiddos will be safe, emotionally safe. And I believe physically safe. I believe if one of those kids were to walk into that school, that Penny Schultz would probably have a policeman standing there waiting to figure out how to get them in jail. Yeah. Is there anyone that anybody can contact if they want to help or assist? Is, how might somebody do that, Cheryl? Can you give you can give my email address? Um, okay. AD okay. For, you know it, right? Yep. Yep. I'll put it in the chat. Yep. Or they can reach out to Beth because Beth is on the team too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So get and my so phone in, and we'll make sure it gets down to, you know, gets to the other folks. Okay. So let me just let me just say a couple things. I know that the I think the IEP that you were trying to do whatever day of the week it was, was that just yesterday? That was just um, yesterday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, was for extended school year services. These kids have missed so much. Uh, so yeah. it was for one child for that. Um and the the other thing uh, that I wanted to just I don't know that we've made it clear, but what you Sean and Amani did was when school shut down, there was not provision of specific information for the boys. They they weren't given the equipment like the Chromebooks. I think the Chromebooks were late for everyone, but they, they weren't they, even. They got them. They they got them two weeks before school ended. And then when we we had a hard time getting log on, so we you know it was constant back and forth with emails to get the log on. Once we logged on, there was no meaningful work or information for them to do. So they were I added into a Google Classroom, or nor did they right. have data at home, like Wi-Fi at home, to be able to even if they did have the Google Classroom uh, to even be able to complete the work. And here's what here's what. Here's what one of the moms told me about the, the Wi-Fi access, that she didn't have it, but they told her it's built into your system. And I think what that meant was um, they had that thing where you could pay $10 a month to get access and it had um, they, could, they had the Wi-Fi kind of component. But what they didn't, the school never considered is if you have an outstanding bill with Cox, um, whatever the thing is, Cox, what's your name, or the... The one connect. Yeah, they, they wouldn't let you do it for $10, $10 if, if even $10 was possible. So, but there was no follow up to say, were you able to connect? Can you do this? I, uh, I sent emails to, to Mr. Hardy saying that these parents don't have internet access. 
I teach that. So what we did was um, I went to my son's local schools, the intermediate and the middle school, and got their work packages. And I would make copies and we did the work with them. We also, Imani would take them out to um, workouts at Indian River Rec, at Indian River Track to do physical workouts. Um, Not only you know, just physical, did- but social skills. Work on, yeah. um, you know, I worked out with a group of trainers. Um, so they were around, they were around a lot of adults. So they got that social skill, um, that uplifting, that, that self-confidence. They, they not only did they participate in physical activity, but like I said, they we really touched on that social skill part. I mean, I had um, a lot of African-American males out there that were helping mentor them. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a big yeah, thing beautiful. for them to see, to see that I have I can go different ways. Like I have I have the potential. I have the opportunity to be anything I want to be. And hearing that not only from me and my mother and Cheryl and everybody else, but hearing that from a black male was something, was a big thing for them. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they hadn't been exposed to, and then the black males that they were exposed to, as far as administrators at Oscar Smith, they looked True. at them as enemies. Yeah, they were. They were the enemies. And, and the interesting piece about that, and I don't want this one guy to leave, so this one guy, there's a couple people say they really want to help. So yes, if you want to inbox me, Cheryl and Poe, but reach out to these guys and there you go. You want to help. So let me go back to that. So yes, they are the enemy. They're, you know, it's it's and 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 this is part of the institutional racism. So the, the idea of institutional racism is that the system, the system is broken and the system is set up, developed, and is implemented in a way that allows racist behaviors, attitudes, and stereotypes to consent to to linger, to say, right? So, you know, putting all black kids in ED. That, I mean that that's a thing, right? Um, making sure that the, the uh, that all these kids now have court referrals, the school to prison pipeline. These kids with disabilities thinking that they don't have access, you know, that there's no need for them to follow the law for these students because they feel, feel that the parents are poor and nobody, nobody's going to help, right? So then what they did was they took the white AP, I guess, away once Sean started showing up to help and identified an African-American male to be the AP, even though he's not the school AP for sixth grade. He's the AP right. for, for, for eighth grade. And so yeah. they were trying to use his blackness to convince us, Ed Sean, that, you know, oh, it's not that bad. No, he's a gatekeeper. He's a gatekeeper of the institutional racism, right? Right. Right. He's the, and, one, and, he's the one that muted. He's the one that muted us yesterday. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's the one that says he won't talk to us. Yes. Uh, so. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I just was going to say, Imani, you know, we've talked about how the kids are doing now and kind of what their future plans are. Um, you know, and again, you know, thank you for what you've done to stand up here and, and making a difference. But I'm sure this has been difficult for you, too. How are you doing now and kind of what are your future plans kind of going forward? Um, since I had that meeting with HR as far as, um, you know, so I, I did send them a letter um, of a 
you know, they forcefully, they forcefully, you know, uh, kind of made me resign mm. uh, from my position. And I did, you know, outline everything that happened within the email tag, you know, um, CC the uh, governor, uh, everybody, Cheryl, everybody I could CC up their reporters um, to let them know what was going on. I find it so hard to get an um, attorney in this area as far as, you, you know, wrongfully being um, fired for being a whistleblower because all the attorneys in this area are saying that Chesapeake Pub- they're on Chesapeake Public Schools payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, so even trying to bring that to light, um, I'm thinking that, you know, I'm going to that that has been the most challenging part for me. Um, and then I, you know, had a few interviews with different other, um, public schools, as far as Newport News Public School and also Suffolk. Um, every job I applied for with them, I received an offer. Um, but I did let them know when I came in, but, you know, I, they, they wanted to know why I left Chesapeake. I was very transparent about what happened. I was very transparent that I would ethics, ethics over compliance any day. Um, very transparent with them. Um, and they, they were on board. Um, so I was pleased to see that um, not every school is maybe the same. Um, not every leadership is maybe the same. That's something that I struggled with. I did not want to go back to a school. Um, wasn't really thinking about giving up teaching, but it was something like, honestly, my plan is to start my own school. Um, I do have my license um, for my for my business. Uh, I am Academy um, uh, Impacting Artistic Minds. Um, that's the plan is to get my school up and running. Um, and then so that way we can, I can educate not That's just great. these boys, but yeah. all, all children the right way. Yeah. Do it the right yeah. Way. And you can, you can set the culture to make sure the culture is what it should be. Correct. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Definitely want to stay connected with you and hear how that goes as you begin moving that direction. You know, I've talked to other educators that have kind of gone that same route for different reasons, um, but, you know, not agreeing with the school or being, uh, you know, retaliated against for advocating for kids, which unfortunately happens way too much. Um, so it's 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 always terrible to see people squeezed out. I experienced okay. the same thing with Norfolk Public Schools years ago when um, I recommended that a child go to Rivermont at an IEP meeting and they wanted to send him to CSEP. This child had so many psychological issues, not behavioral, psychological. Mm. And the principal was like, it costs too much for Rivermont. I said, yeah, but that's a better option than CSEP. And they said, I needed to keep my mouth shut in meetings. And I said, well, then don't have me in the meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I call, we need bold teachers and bold advocates and bold parents because right, right. this is the time to really stand up and have our voice because it could be drowned out by everything else. It's easy to kind of minimize the importance of kids getting an education during this time of a pandemic. Yeah. And the system has to change and the school to pipe, pipe, uh, pipeline prison has to end. And it's not going to change. It's not going to end without people like Imani standing up for a change. And, you know, I mean, we need more parents aware of their rights and advocating for the kids. But, you know, thank, thank goodness for, for people like, you know, you, Sean and Imani for doing what you're doing. And Cheryl, you know, I, I know the countless number of families that you've you've advocated for. This is so critical. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So we've got you as to the alliance, which is weird. I'm proud of you, but thank you guys for uh, the uh, alliance against restraints and seclusion and making the connection that you know that school to prison pipeline is 
connected to that restrained seclusion. Right. That you right. know that right. in, in, in that all of this is interconnected. And if we don't stop one piece, we're not going to be able to stop the other. So That's thank right. you. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we've got about 10 minutes left and, and probably need to start winding down, but want to give everybody a chance to kind of uh, drill home any last thing that you want to drill home and any really important message. Um, so, you know, Cheryl, why don't we start with you and give you a chance to kind of get, get to your, your, you know, your take home message for everybody and uh, you know, what, what people should be doing, you know, other people that might be in similar situations. Uh, maybe it's not as, 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 as to the degree of this, but you know, we know this happens out there. We know it happens to a lot of kids. This type of thing. Uh, what what should they be doing, or, or what what final words do you have for people? So uh, some of my final words are to everyone that is here watching this and posting that they want to help, that they can offer supplies for these kids, that they are celebrating Amani and Sean for being courageous. Um, one of my last messages. One of my messages need to be thank you. Because when you're in this, it's hard, <laughs> you know, you have so much negatively, negativity coming to you in all aspects. So, so thank you for caring. We appreciate that. That fills my bucket. That gives me strength to continue to provide my services for people that um, generally don't have access to knowledgeable people on the issues of special education. So that's my first thing is thank you. And I appreciate you. The last um, the few tip, tips, parents, um, document, document, document. Um, keep records of things that school, school personnel tell you or say to you. If you don't trust it to be true, guess what? Trust your gut. It's probably not true. Get it in writing. Um, another thing is, you know, these kids were lucky because they had a special education teacher who could help build a community around the family. So parents, if you're struggling, try and find your community. Um, as Amy Trail likes to call them, try and find your tribe. And, and that is looking um, not just for a special education advocate, look, look, through your, look for some related service providers that would support making sure that your kids are getting what they need and ask them to send, send letters. Um, find a, a group um, and share your concerns. If you can afford an advocate, yes, hire an advocate. If you can't afford an advocate, put get, get about four or five of your buddies and go to an IEP meeting together and tape record it. Um, one of the things that Chesapeake failed, did not expect to happen was these families finding a community that would care enough to try and protect them. So I think any parent that is going through this I think the community is very important. Try and find that community that has the skills you need to help you get through that. And I, again, want to say thank you, though, of those that are watching. Thank you for caring. Thanks, Cheryl. And, and, and please let the families know, you know, how much uh, how much everybody out here does care and that, you know, hopefully we can do something to make a difference. Sean, um, what what message do you want to send? give well, people's kind of take home message on all this? I'm, I'm on three sides. I'm the parent of children, two children with special needs, special ed teacher and an advocate. And I really want to say to the parents, if it doesn't feel right, you, you, you have to, you have to really keep pushing because I didn't start off in special education. I started off as a parent who was having those issues 
And and I kept questioning and, and I just kept pushing and pushing. And then I went on ahead and career switched because I said, I'm going to hurt somebody up in here because <laughs> it was so wrong. What was it was so blatant. As a matter of fact, I hired Cheryl years ago for my for my daughter. And that's how I ended up transitioning. Um, I, I want parents and teachers to understand that if we don't get it right for these boys right now, then we'll be sending them money on their books or we'll be burying them, or boys or girls. And it is so important that th the parents do their part. But these educators, and I'm saying from a, as a fellow educator, don't sit there and just collect a paycheck when you know that that stuff is wrong. Right. If you're not doing your part or if you see things that are wrong, I mean, it has to be ethics over compliance because you're not compliant if you're unethical. That's, that's not just because you have a signed IEP, but if it's some bull, it's not compliant. And you are impacting the lives of that child, that child's children, yeah. that child's children. It, 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 it affects the whole community. And if we can get more teachers and administrators to step up and say, you know what, I'm not really concerned about being, you know, administrator of the year or teacher of the year, but I want to make sure that I can sleep at night. And that on judgment day, I have made a difference in the lives of these children. I just I want parents and educators and administrators to, to really take a stand that enough is enough. Yeah, that's so important. And, and thank you for all that you've been doing. Um, you know, it seems like, Cheryl, I've met an army of people that, that you've influenced into, uh, you know, career changes and, and all sorts of work. So it's great to see. And, and Sean, the fact that you, you took that direction. Uh, and are making a difference. I, I agree with you. Nothing, nothing means more than knowing that you actually had a positive influence on somebody's life. Um, you know, the, the awards don't matter. All of that doesn't matter if you're not really helping kids. I mean, why, why did you get into you know this in the first place? You want to help, you know. So that's great. So, Monty, let's shift over to you and make sure you take yourself. You're on mute right now, so make sure you take yourself off mute. <laughs> um, I would like to piggyback off of you know what they both said. Um, far as I'm gonna speak from a teacher's aspect. Um, the only way is to change the system um, is to get more passionate teachers in there. Um, I would say if you're not passionate about the job, do not do it because you're going to affect a lot of children's lives. You're going to affect Absolutely. a lot of children's lives. And um, it's, it's like, like my mother said, it's going to be life or death for most of them. So we, we have to come together, not only as parents, as teachers, but as a community, as a whole to make a difference in these children's lives because these children are our future. They're, they're going to be, we're going to all get older one day and they're going to be running the country. So we have to do the right thing to make sure we instill the right values within them. That's great. And I'm glad to know that you're, you're going to be influencing some of those young minds and the work that you're doing. Um, I mean, it, it really, you know, there's a lot of, in what we do here with the Alliance Against Seclusion Restraint, there's a lot of really bad and negative stories that we hear and, and certainly all of this fits that mold, but the hope of knowing that there's people out there like you that are really doing something positive, make a difference. You know, I, you know, I, I don't think we could thank you enough. And, you know, you are going to, to make a, a huge dent in the world. So thank you. Um, Beth, I want to give you as always the opportunity to have the last word because you always have one word of wisdom for us. I have four. Okay. <laughs> so I have to bear with me. Three is your limit. <laughs> He's already trying to limit it. Um, well, first of all, I want to I want to thank all three of you 
And, and I was sitting here trying to think, what is it I'm going to say? But I think, um, I think one of the big things I want to say is that um, use you. Uh, my message to teachers is use you, um, Sean and Imani, um, and Cheryl, too, as inspiration. But as far as being in their teaching, use what you've done as an inspiration and a flashback. Because I know that teachers didn't go into the job to discriminate, to deny services, to all of these things. You get caught up in a system. I'm not excusing it by any means. What I'm saying is use this vision of, wow, did you fall or did your phone fall? My phone, though. You went like this. <laughs> anyway, use use Imani as a vision of what a good teacher is. Um, so that's my that's my shout out to to teachers. My next shout out is about kids and, and about parents. That I, I've only talked to three parents so far, but that the, they love these kids so much and they hurt like hell for what is happening to their kids, and they see that when their kids are treated as not valuable, their kids soak that up and feel not valuable. And so uh, that's another shout out to everybody involved with kids. And along with that shout out goes a phrase that I'm sure I will butcher, um, but I'll give you the meaning after I give it. It's something I heard from My Fair Lady, and it was the, the difference between a lady and a flower girl is not how she behaves, but how she's treated. Does that make sense to everybody? The flower girl is somebody who hasn't gone very far. So let's say between a poor person or be between somebody in jail and a lady is how she's treated, not how she behaves. The behavior is related to how you're treated. Right, right. Uh, and these kids have not been treated well. And when they've acted out of their own boredom or their own manifestation, they have been treated horribly. Every one of these kids has tremendous potential, and we need to get behind supporting them and supporting kids in every other position like this, but we know of these six. Um, so my final thing, was that three or four? Or am I up to five? Um, anyway, my final thing is I am so grateful to you, Amani, and Sean, and Cheryl for what you're doing. It, it, it makes a difference. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much for for taking the time to join us today for this. I think it's really important. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's, you know, here at the Alliance Against Seclusions and Restraint, that's really kind of what we're about is how people can make a difference, you know, that, that you know, not only have a lot of the people that are part of our community gone through things like restraint and seclusion, not having their uh, children's needs appropriately met, but we want to encourage people to to uh, do what they can, whether they're a teacher or a parent or an advocate. So thank you so much all for the inspiration. Uh, I'm going to uh, wrap us up here, but I just want to thank you guys all before I give the uh, wrap up here. So thanks for joining us. All right. And let me then just give a quick uh, wrap up here um, and let you know, I uh, hope you enjoyed this and you know we're going to be continuing to do uh, these live events. We've got another great one coming up in two weeks. So kind of on that note of what you can do to make a difference, there's a lot of things that you can do to make a difference, you know, whether it be, you know, trying to uh, affect a change at your local school system, whether you're a teacher and trying to affect change from the inside. Uh, in our next session, we've got somebody talking to us about running for local office, running for a local school board seat. You know, it, so if you're interested in influencing change, 
that's another route you can take is you can. In fact, a member of our team, Pam, ran for, for school board. Uh, you know, this is something that you can do to, to try to make a difference. So that's going to be our next event coming up here in uh, two weeks. And we look forward to having folks join us for that. And I want to thank everybody for joining us here today. And we will see you again soon.